0: Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hi, Mary. How are you? Thumbs up? Ready to go? Let's pray. It is Gaudete, as you know. So the Lord knows your, uh, your weaknesses. And so the third of four Sundays in Advent and the fourth in six Sundays in Lent, you get the softening of the purple into pink just to remind you that the Lord is on the way, and it's all going to be okay. And I know John the Baptist was kind of hard on you last week, but he softened up this week, and by next week, it's all going to be fine. You're going to be great. So Uh, so the third Sunday in Advent, Gaudete, rejoice. O Lord, accept our prayer and our supplication, and grant that we heed the call of John the Baptizer to prepare the way for your Son and receive him into our hearts, that we may become your children through Christ our Lord. Amen. Everybody okay? We're going to give money to Gifts for Grace. So I know this is a little hard for you to focus on because we finish up with, spectacularly, by the way, with uh, Christmas sharing. And then I know you're trying to catch your breath and get ready with your own families for Christmas. But if you can think about Gifts for Grace, that would be really nice. I'm sure that bulletin board is up down there. Is that bulletin board up down there? See? And so you go down, and you can do a couple of things. Um, you know, you can buy something off the board, or you can give cold, hard cash. So, I mean, they're happy to do that, too. Uh, So, yes, yes, yes. Can I just um, throw this out? It's been in the light together for a couple of weeks. If anybody would like to join us on Wednesday, I know it's You're going to serve dinner for them. We will serve them dinner, yes. Are we providing dinner or they're providing dinner? You're just helping them serve? Just serving. Serving. All right. Nice. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, you can go to, uh, you know, uh, Augustine. Do a good work and you pray twice. So if you go to, you know, if you go to, God bless you, if you go to, 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 to Grace School, that's fabulous. Um, yeah, they're they're great people, and it's a great service. So, all right, thanks for doing that. It's very nice, and thanks for letting us know. Questions about anything else as we're going? Need to know anything? All right. Um, so, you know, I've argued for years that that you know, America is becoming a pagan society, but now I have the proof from the New York Times, which is all about the truth, as you know. So, here it is, and. Uh, uh, What I think the thing for you to think about, this is what I try to think about too, is of course you can see if you think this is true, but I also want you to think about if you think that it's true or even close to being true, how does this strike you in terms of the duty of the church and also your hopefulness or lack of hope for the future, okay, So I took this last night, and I read it again. I read it midweek and shared it with the pastors, and then we talked about it a little bit. And I took it last night to mark it up. And then, of course, I found, you know, I'm marking all the places because I'm thinking, this is just so interesting. So I just want to run you through this, just as a foil for talking about your prayers today. Now, it's so interesting, even the first line, maybe there actually is a genuinely post-Christian future America. He said, happily right? So isn't this kind of interesting? Finally, the the change in tenor about Christianity in the last ten years in America has really gone from neutral to, to negative. And now the happy coincidence, uh, or I mean happy confluence, it seems, that we could do away with those horrible Christians and have something post-pagan. Now, the thing is, of course, be careful what you ask for, right? So... I will give you this kind of in general. Here are some facts. The Protestant establishment is collapsing. Okay, we've talked about this for years, denominations. This is my own thing. Denominations are a modern invention. They were invented with the modern era, and they're going to disappear now that the modern era has gone away. So denominations are collapsing because history is changing. Okay? Fair enough. The Lord didn't institute denominations. Um, there is a theory. This is the second uh, second paragraph. That people just grow up, get smart, and don't need God. That was just an illusion when we didn't understand why why, why volcanoes erupted, or we couldn't explain why tornadoes came, or the plague, or we, that we needed God, small g, in the old days to make things work. <laughs> to hold society together. We're smarter now, we're smarter now. Of course, you can see the proof all around you. Riots in France and wars all over the world and people are still starving to death and you know wildfires like we've never had before and there's, don't go to Iceland because there's no ice left. And you know, the, the proof is all around us that things are just fabulous, right? So, because we're so smart, right? But here's another possibility the next paragraph, 40% of Americans still say they're spiritual, which means they feel it. It means from time to time, they feel it. Now, of course, the cynical side says to me, you know, um, what's an ex-murderer feel in the middle of murdering 20 people? You know, the guy who shot up the place and, in the middle of shooting people stopped to post it to Facebook and tell you how calm he felt and how wonderful it was all working out, Right? So you might be suspicious of people's feelings because frankly, we often feel very good when we hurt other people. Just sort of just put it aside there. Perhaps secularization makes sense to talk about fragmentation and personalization and cobbling things together. And the bottom, taking out the inconvenience bit, bits and pitching them away. This is so, the thing about this is it's just so honest. So we create our gods in our own image. You should be hearing Isaiah talking to you saying, you people are crazy. You take a log, you chop down a tree, you take a log, you carve it into a god and you worship it. Isaiah goes, what are you thinking about? Right? But, see, no difference. So. And then, of course, people always comment in, and it's so interesting. You know. And this is the most, probably the most difficult thing for us. Hey, you don't understand Catholicism and paganism can, can be side-by-side side without conflict or contradiction. They complement each other. You know, the devil and Jesus, they complement each other. Yin and a yang, back and forth, black and white, it all works out. You kind of go, right, how the mighty have fallen. So uh, the question is, what will happen? Now, the rest of this is kind of argument for don't be such a smarty-pants and acting like gods don't matter gods, even if they don't really exist, actually do matter, so we should construct ourselves some religions that would make us happy, as if we've ever really figured out what would make us happy, but, right? It's What's so interesting about this is it's such a logical argument, doot, 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 right? And, sorry? But we're not logical. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, Yeah, logical people are hard to find, right? And then, of course, whether logic is the only way of knowing. There's, of course, the cold question about that, too. Are there other ways of knowing things? So, um, and then, actually, here at the bottom, just what we did last week. The new paganism is pantheism. God is in everything. We talked about this, and he actually observes the same things, which actually, it's not a very good deal if you're poor or broken or a slave Pantheism isn't very hopeful. That you just kind of adapt yourself to God in nature, and it'll all work out. If you're at the bottom of the food chain, it actually doesn't work out very well. So, um, paganism isn't materialistic or atheistic. It allows for spiritual realities. Now, part of the problem, of course, is I've sort of speculated to you, but I won't live long enough to see it. That in a hundred years there won't be denominations. There'll just be people who are body and blood people, real presence people incarnation people, material people, you're saved by stuff, and some form of Gnosticism, you're saved by spiritual reality, whatever that is. This is exactly what he describes here. But um, people are deliberately agnostic about final things. So basically, you're just creating a thing to get through. It's just one more patriarchal structure where people in charge push down people who are below them and do it in the name of God, small g, And it's all just going to work out because I feel pretty good about it. Sunday's a good day for brunch. It's the skeptical idea that there's some ascetic, world-denying moral standard to which you should aspire. Hey, you know what? We don't need to give anything up. We are fabulous just the way we are. And if we could just amplify what we are, it would all work out. I'm telling you, especially the last 300 years, but the entire course of human history can be written with a single sentence. It doesn't work out. Right? The environment, illness, prejudice and racism, oppression of poor people, the structure of power, the distribution of wealth. Just keep going. It doesn't work out. It just never works out. The history of the world is it doesn't work out. And that you can write a piece and say, this is going to be great, it's all going to work out. I mean, you just, you just kind of look at it and you go, do more work, but it is what it is, right? So you turn over, and he kind of goes through. There's kind of intellectual pantheists, um, you know, we went through this, and civil pantheists. So I want to be a pagan because it makes me smart. I want to be a pagan because it makes the trains run on time, whatever. Kind of turn the page again. Um, however, so I'm in the middle of the second last page, and this is where it sort of comes to prayer. However, there are forms of modern paganism that do promise to help, right? And this is the, I actually, when we were in New Orleans, I um, actually took a picture of this for you, uh, and then I deleted it from my phone because I didn't want to carry it around in my pocket. But we were going past a place, and on the chalkboard it said, come cast a spell at our witch's altar, 4 p.m. You kind of go... I wanted to show you, and then I thought, you know what? My pants caught on fire. It would be embarrassing. (laughs) So I just, I did delete it. And Occasionally, I wish that I had it just to prove to you that it actually happens. But, you know, here it is. There are some forms of modern paganism that promise to help that offer ritual observance, augury for telling the future, prayer that promise some form of gods or spirits that might really exist and might offer succor, might help if appropriately invoked. Now, see, you should be able to read this and say, "Oh, this is exactly Antichrist. So remember all the ways we've talked about God? Um, you, you, don't pray because, you, know, you don't pray because you need to make God do something, right? God's already giving. That's why you ask. God's already found you. That's why you seek. This whole notion that you have to placate God or make a deal with God or prompt God to love you is not just what the Reformation was fought about. This is the entire history of Christianity. It's the third commandment, that you come to church on Sunday not so you can serve God or the gods, but so that God serves you. When you kneel down at the Eucharist and you open your mouth like a baby bird and are nothing but given to that's raw Christianity. Jesus is going to touch you, unworthy as you are. Right? You're not doing a deal with God. God is doing a deal with you, and He's doing all of it. This, I mean, the great thing about this is it couldn't be more stark. And there's actually another benefit at the end I still want to talk to you about. But so so here we are. We have all these things. Nothing new here. Observance, augury, prayer, spirits. I have in mind countless New Age practices that promise health and well-being, psychics, mediums. You should never have your fortune told. You should never have your cards read. You should never play. You should never go to a seance. You should never touch any of this. I had a great article. um, I don't think I gave it to you, but about a priest who talked about the spiritual wounds of the soul. So when you do these sorts of things... You wound your soul the way when you, you know, step on a nail, it punctures you or you cut yourself with a knife, right? You actually wound your soul when you rub things that are demonic up against it. Don't do this, right? Because what's the point? The psychics and the median promise communication. Um, it's explicitly pagan, Wiccan, so witches, even white magic or otherwise. And then the next to the star, the big finish, it's adherence may not all be equally convinced of the realities that they're trying to appeal and manipulate, right? So they might not exactly know what they're doing. Of course, this is the way the demonic takes charge of you. When you cast a spell and it goes wrong, you cast a spell to take charge of the demons. When it goes wrong, the demons take charge of you. This is like the simplest thing. You know, this is the simplest thing. This is, I think I told you when I was at Cambridge, I was going through an old man's library and pulling books off as we're talking, and I reached up to grab a book, and he said, don't touch that book. And I, I was like, okay. He, I said, why is that? He said, you're too young. Which, uh, you know, was kind of, he was an old man. And he said, it's a book of spells. And he said, occasionally I have to look at it. But he said, you shouldn't ever touch it. If that goes wrong on you, it's the end. Right? He was a pastor. Right? But he had a lot of kind of stuff in the three or four blocks surrounding his house. So he was the kind of guy who wanted to figure it out. Anyway... I don't know how many, um, yeah, so this, this, this thing. Its adherents may not all be equally convinced of the realities they're trying to appeal to and manipulate, but their numbers are growing rapidly. There soon may be more witches in the United, in the United States than members in the United Church of Christ. So it's no bang on the UCC. It just is just kind of a numbers game. So, you know, this is sort of interesting for a range of reasons. Among them are, you know, this is, the, this is the world your children live in. You live in it, but you're going to die before it'll get full, full grasp on you, but this is the world that your kids uh, live in. And there's a way that this can <clears throat> it can make you hopeless when things are not just yeah man, you're not I mean, yeah, the Vegas odds are against us, okay? we're not the dominant force anymore, and we're becoming less dominant. And people who used to just be neutral toward us are actually um, negative to angry, right? Now, can you see any upside anywhere in this? I'll agree with you that it's limited. We'll see if this works. Oh, it's a glorious thing when it works. (laughs) So um, these are the people you know. Your favorite Missouri centipede They all look kind of like this, right? Yeah, there might be. Yeah, well, I, was, it, was it too obvious? But here's the thing. You know, the world is also filled with people who look like this, right? And there are people who look like this as well. And then there are people, you know, there are people like this. And, um, you know, there are people who are even, uh, you know, look like this, right? And, um, The problem of course is, for us, is that we read this and we get angry and afraid because we're not in charge anymore and the threat's on us. And so we circle the wagons and we're really careful only to associate with people like us. And um, we get more diligent about making sure that we would never engage or touch or play with or think about or converse with or respect people who look like that, right? And what happens then is you just have this sectarian sectarian narrowing of the church. Boom, 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 boom. So we let other people determine our agenda for us. They squeeze us and in response to the pressure, we sort of curl up in the fetal position and then really sort of check to make sure everybody who's here looks just like me. That ignores two things. One is the mission impulse of the church. This is exactly the world into which Jesus sent his disciples. This is what the world looked like, and it was institutionalized as in lots of people were killed because they wouldn't make sacrifices to Caesar. There was just a brilliant little book review about whether or not Alexander the Great thought he was a god or not. Um, but this whole notion of rulers making themselves God and demanding, right? Demanding obeisance. Jesus, may or may not have looked like that, went into a world that looked precisely like that. Long after I'm dead, you all should think to yourselves every morning when you get up, is what I'm doing giving a witness to Christ? As opposed to is what I'm doing protecting my sect? Because protecting your sect is not in the scriptures. But making disciples and making them stronger is all over the scriptures. Yeah, you frighten me, Karen, but I'm going to go ahead with this, okay? But isn't there also a verse in scripture that says, be not guilt with unbelief? You no, know, Here's the thing, when you start quoting scripture against me, Karen, it makes me want to take you off my Christmas card list, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so here's the thing, yes, but uh, I'm just going to go to you, and I'm, this is actually going to be part of what we do today, I'll, I'll just defer under your public and your private life or your hidden life and your, and your public life, so I'm right now talking about your sort of public life and how you engage. I'm going to presume that you're a wonderful person and a great Christian, Karen. And then I'm going to try to figure out how you wander through a world that um, really dislikes you and may want to do you harm. But the paradigm is they're all there in the first three centuries of the church. This is what the church lived in, right? I mean, one of the – I don't think – I think this Martyrs Day comes soon in December, but – you know, one of the most interesting martyr stories is there was a, in Turkey, the 40 martyrs. on the, who You remember, I used this in a sermon once. You may not remember, there's just an icon of these guys. They were soldiers. They were told to burn their uh, incense to Caesar. They refers, refused to do it. So they sorted them out. They took all the Christians. They stripped them naked. They put them out on the ice of a lake. And then they stood on the shore, and they built not only fires but hot baths and said, you know, if you only renounce Jesus, uh, welcome, come be warm. And these 40 guys froze to death on this lake, right? Now, that's the one side of it, and um, sometimes it'll be the end to you. On the other side, however, of course, and also when you look at icons, of course, occasionally, not occasionally, often you'll see in the hand of somebody in the icon, they have a cross, which means you're martyred at some point. This history lesson. But all these people who are in this article, here's the good news. They at least have the sense that there's something beyond themselves, or at least would consider that there's something beyond themselves, or at least there's the possibility. So when you said the creed today, you said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. What you're trying to get these people to do is to believe in things that are invisible but good for them, right? And Jesus told us that this was going to happen. I mean, we started with, and we'll do in a couple of weeks or when we come back after Christmas, we'll do the verses about the devil prowls around as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour and how how you protect yourself against powers and principalities. We'll do all that But at least as you go through life, because you're going to walk out the door, and this is the world. I mean, this is this week's New York Times. So this is the world you're walking into. And you may not have gotten to Wheaton yet, but you should get out more because it is everywhere. This is everywhere. What you have to do is move through life not in a way that sort of never gives a witness to Jesus. And maybe that's the best way to say it. You need to move through life in a way that gives a witness to Jesus. You don't have to be stupid. You don't have to make yourself a martyr uh, automatically. But you should, people should look at you the way they looked at the early Christians and say, there's something different about that person, right? You remember this thing I occasionally run from Letters to Pliny in the thing, you know, they send this guy out to kill all the Christians, and he goes out and he writes a letter back and he says, these people are really strange, Um, They're kind to everybody. They don't abort their babies. They take in sick people, even ones they don't know. If they find dead bodies, they give them a proper burial. There's no poor people among them. And they meet together and love each other. And he writes back and says, you can kill them if you want. But you should just know that's the kind of people you're killing. Those are the people you want to be. So I just, I just want to be careful. I mean, there are different ways that Christians approach this. Part of the reason St. John is the way it is is because we've approached it in this way, to love people who are broken and not to sort of weed people out and get smaller and smaller and push people away and be angry and afraid. That doesn't fulfill the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is to be light on a hill, to be leaven in the loaf. That's the mission of Christ. And there's no mission separate from that mission. There's no sort of St. John mission or church mission or Missouri-centered mission that's separate from that. So just kind of keep this in mind, even though you should know the odds are stacked again. you. Of course it means if you're raising kids now, it's harder than it was 20 years ago and harder than it was 40 years ago. Of course it means you can't make all the assumptions that people used to make about anything. But, you know, you can still make it, be Christian. So try to be hopeful, even in a world that seems hopeless. Why? Jesus told us it was coming. He's already won this battle. The Holy Spirit is bigger than these spirits, but don't wound yourself by touching things that are evil because it's gonna get more and more and more around you. We have more and more people that we bump into, friends we have who are going to a medium, get trying magic, Um, having their cards read, doing this, doing that, stopping in at 4 o'clock at the witch's altar to cast a spell, right? I mean, you might as well take heroin, you know? It just is. uh... So anyway, don't be despondent, but do say your prayers, okay? That's kind of the bottom line. Make sense? Because I see this everywhere now. And when you see it, I don't want you to be surprised by it, and I don't want you to shrivel up. Into the fetal position, I want you to, you know, lift up your heads, as the Advent text says, and when um, Christ arri- arrives, it'll be great news for you. All right, questions about any of that? I know I'm a little bit on my soapbox. However, I really see the church in many forms turning back in on itself because it feels overwhelmed by what Jesus told us was already going to happen, and that's not a faithful response, right? The faithful response is always to be light in the darkness. The faithful response is to follow Jesus. Okay? Are right, so you okay? Mm-hmm. Wow, I think I'll go to last week's lesson now. <laughs> so you have this, all right? Question. Yes, please. Okay. Um, It's the sort of thing that people argue about at cocktail parties. What, which God is better than? So, so, so here's the thing. It means in general that... Do you remember uh, last week when we talked about three possibilities? One is that God is far distant and never to be contacted, right? That's deists, kind of early American leaders. You know, God started the world and walked away. Then there's us who... <clears throat> Um, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, where we see heaven and earth, or God and us, as separate but interlocking, overlapping. And with your prayers, you know, um, your prayers are kind of like, you know how when the neighbor's bathtub runs over upstairs and you get that bubble in the paint in your ceiling? Your prayers are kind of like the broomstick where you poke that until it. <laughs> right? So you kind of pray, not only you rejoice that heaven and earth are interlocked, but you pray that they'd be interlocked in your own life, right? So one, so far away, interlocked, and then the same thing. And you have in here both a guy, so interesting, both a guy from Harvard, like a Yale lawyer and a Harvard economist or something, have both written books about being pagan. So interesting. Right? So they're the same. God is in everything. God is in everything. He's in your cup of coffee. He's out in a tree. You know, people worship coffee in a general way, but they worship trees all the time, right? So in everything, and you find the one you like. And this explains things like in the Old Testament. Remember, like when they have Baal, basically a fertility god, and a god of storms. So, two things that are hard to explain how people have babies and how storms come. And then, um, remember, Elijah builds the altar, puts a sacrifice, and then we're both going to pray in whichever one, right? And they're cutting themselves and beating themselves with spatulas spatulas, and kitchen utensils and, you know, they're bleeding and nothing ever happens. And then he says, why don't you pour water on mine? And then whoosh, right? So paganism is basically this notion that it is in nature, they're, they're the same. So you hear people talk about a divine spark in things or divine life or the divinity of nature or Mother Earth or Gaia. These things all are of the same cloth. Which identi- And then he's more or less or she's more or less personal, right? But in any case, they're identical. So you think about them as identical, interlocked, or separate. It's kind of three basic ways to think about it. Were choice B. Right. How do the witches fit into the paganism thing? It seems like that can be a god too? Yeah, you're accessing the divine or, here's the thing, evil spirits actually have power. So the question is, how do witches work? How do they access it? There actually is the belief that there are these spirits. You have these spells that are cast down, or uh, spells that are passed down through the so ages that worked or didn't work. God too? Is that what you're saying? They make it a valid yeah. god. The devils are, witches are valid. So it's a valid god in the sense of people who worship their Lamborghini or their job, or, or Bears Packers today at noon, right? Um, Luther, First Commandment, large catechism, your God is whatever you turn to in life and death. So if you're really struggling, what do people do? Some people come back to Christmas and Easter service. Some people go to the witch's altar at four, right? So your God is whatever you put at point number one above you, you know. And if you think about the, just generally, I'm coming right to you. If you think about, so there's two possibilities here. Um, there's sort of God and spirits and you, right? You can sort of bump up to the spirits, or you can bump up to God, or you can bump up and make your own gods. It depends how you construct the world. The problem is there's an objective reality to how the world works, right? And even if you pray to a nothing, you've still committed idolatry. Because you've, you've bumped Jesus out of the way. I don't have time to pray to you, but I will pray to whatever. Dennis, go ahead. Question? Um, where are atheists today. Um, they're actually in the article a couple of places and now here's the interesting thing is atheists are basically the raw intellectuals. Um, agnostics are sort of saying, you can do that if you want, we're not sure if it's there, but he sort of identifies and I would too atheists as the raw intellectuals. The only question that I need to go back and look at this is he accuses some of the primary atheist intellectuals of our day as being pagans, and I'm not sure that that follows, but I don't know how to track that down. Being atheist doesn't fit in any of those No, people you, people. you basically say... No, you're just, if you're atheist, you're just like, none of that exists, right? So the only things that exists are what I can see, what I can experience, what I can measure, what I can think, right? What I can think, what I can see. So the world ends at my sight line, Right? Whether your sight line is established intellectually or visually or by hearing. So the world ends with what I can measure. Right? No, I don't need a God to explain it. I'll explain it myself. That's for weak people. Smart people know, right? you know. You know, the greatest problem with that is death. Actually, people die. Right? If you're so smart, why are you dead? Right? <laughs> there are questions to be asked. Or if we're so smart, how come we really can't solve the problem of uh, people starving to death? you think we could do that. Or you'd think smart people would not go to war. I mean, unless you kind of back at an idea that war stimulates the economy, and occasionally we need the. War is caused by people in those other three categories. Oh, yes, yeah, so those people. Well, yes, and of course, that's, that's one of the... Actually, some of the intellectuals' names have made that exact argument. He tries to not make that argument. Of course they do. Yes, there has been very been very hip to say for the last 10 years that religion is inherently hateful and causes all our troubles for us, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, Joseph. Doesn't it seem that atheism gives one the freedom to become one's own god? Yeah, right. That's actually exactly it. I'm my own god. I'm the master of all things. You and I will just negotiate to see for example how many guitars a man could have or whether it's wrong to... Yeah, see, the thing is is, this. Yeah, no, see... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you'd agree that it's wrong to steal another man's guitar. <laughs> yeah, see, so we could just work it out, right? You all okay? You see, it's very important to know how you see the world, how you see the world. So one of the things about being here is you want to try to see the world in a rich way, right? So this is this is our story. The world is interlocking, and God is here right now. Not the same of us as us, but condescends to us and becomes one of us. The world is interlocking, and the difference between all other gods and this God is that this God is merciful without prompting. So this notion of agape in Christianity, that God loves you in spite of yourself. God loves you because God's heart is love, not because of anything you've done. This is a unique thing to Christianity, right? That God loves you. Loves you so that he would become one of you. So that blows up all the immaterialists. That blows up the deists. So that blows up. The incarnation blows up both pantheism and and deism. So not that he would be the same as us. He's the same as us. And then more, right? And locates himself in our flesh, right? So this middle bit of we're so interlocking that Mary bears a child who is actually the son of God. So God, true God, true man, one person and two natures. This is our story. And frankly, when it's well played, it's a remarkable story. Uh, The problem is is Christianity so often goes off the rails, as he describes here as, you know, on the right, you know, prosperity gospel or uh, nationalistic politics, and on the left, social justice politics, which he very harshly says it have, doesn't have any theological mooring at all. In one of my forays out this year, um, in a public forum, somebody critiqued one of what, one of the things I was saying by by asking this rhetorical question. I suppose you still think. So, of course, still think means. I suppose you still think means you're a Stone Age man, I suppose you still think that the gospel is about reconciliation. Right? To which I said, actually I, actually I do. I mean, it's, it's Paul, 1 Corinthians. God has trusted us with the ministry of reconciliation being reconciled to us. Right? So to reconciliation as opposed to dominance or passivity. Anyway, it's just so interesting because what I, what I want you to see is this is what we're doing, right? The whole world is still at prayer, or much of the world is still at prayer. The problem is praying to gods that they've either created themselves or to sort of second-level evil spirits, right? So it works like this. There's God. There's his invisible beings. Good ones called angels. Bad ones called demons. And... Human beings. People find this as you know. If you describe this way of looking at the world in just sort of broad, first they think they know what you're talking about, and two they see it as kind of other, utterly medieval, um, and sort of say that as a swear word. I mean, the more discoveries about medieval world is, the medieval smart people were smarter than our smart people in many ways, at least logically. But um, it's actually a very workable system for which there is much for which there are many good reasons. So um, other questions about any of this? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, so I thought this would go about four minutes. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. We'll co- we will come back and do this, although when you go over two, you do have to swing as the next good pitch. You got to protect the plate here a little bit. Um, we're not up next week, right? So we got a few weeks off. We're not up next week. We're not off the week after that. Then we have Time and Talent. No, then we have Gifts for Grace pancakes on the first Sunday and then Time and Talent. So I'm not going to see you again until... The other, way. other way around? June 1. Time and Talent and then pancakes? <laughs> Stay in veil longer, ski longer. Pancakes are till until the second Sunday in January, okay? <laughs> so just basic things, Okay. This is, I mean, I, don't, I can't believe I you know, got a paycheck this week because I just said what I said last week. Look. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never hurt you. Boom, boom, boom. That's true for this, and that's wants to be true for this. Jesus loves you. Jesus will never hurt you. Jesus will never leave you. Boom, boom, boom. That'll solve most things. In your own life, touch holy things, don't touch evil things. You become what you touch. You become what you invoke. You become what you pray for. You become what you engage. Touch good, don't touch evil. Touch good, and you will heal your soul. Touch evil, you will wound your soul. Do you see how easy this is? This is just like, Jesus loves you, Jesus will never leave you, Jesus will never hurt you. Touch good. Don't touch evil. Touch good. Soothe your soul. And be some good to God. Right? And one of the ways you can be good to God, do good for God, is to say your prayers, which you unleash in this interlocking relationship. You unleash all the good that God has already done and is waiting for you to poke with a broomstick and splash out all over your friends. Think of your prayers more like that as opposed to trying to do a deal or convincing God for something. God is giving, waiting for you to ask. God has found you and is waiting for you to seek, right? God is here waiting for you to understand all that that means. He's done his bit and there's more to come. The holdup is not with God. The hold up is with us, right? So... Everything we've done is to try to encourage you to say your prayers. Why? So that you unleash good, holiness, justice, righteousness, blessing, grace, in a world that is starved for it. That's the whole point. The whole point is for you to be a Christian, and one of the things about being a Christian, you know, Christ, Scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, tithing and alms, living with a thorough mercy and being a good witness. You can't abandon any of those things. They are part and parcel of the life. And if you start to clip pieces out like, hey, we're not going to care about a witness, or if you cut pieces out like we're not going to give, or we're going to cut pieces out like we're not going to say our prayers, you then live with what you bring down on yourselves. Say your prayers, see what happens. I've tried to encourage you just to have a few short bursts during the day when people come to mind. So kind of your, your, your winter break, you know, assignment, which I always hated to have, but I'll give it to you anyway, which is you might try when people come to mind not just to think of them but pray, pray for them. If you think when people come to mind, you say, Lord, bless that person, or especially if an enemy comes to mind, Lord, sort that person out for the good. Or when your kids come home or your parents come home, thank you so much for the gift that they've been to me, and really try to work through the Lord's Prayer in the way kind of we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, which is your Heavenly Father is there, your world is interlocked, you're begging for the holiness to take place first to forgive you and then to flood the landscape. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, knowing that God will provide all that you need, asking God that you would be the same sort of provider not only with things, but also with forgiveness, the hardest thing for us to do. And that even though we know that the world is a rough place and that we'll be tempted, that God goes with us, doesn't let evil get the best of us, and then strengthens us because, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it does in fact make you stronger in this case, knowing that someday there'll be an advent where kingdom and power and glory, all the things that our part and parcel of an eschatological and fulfilled world, a second coming world, will someday happen to you. Amen. So there you go. That's what you're praying for. All right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.